All right, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, here we are, six rounds are done and dusted, and certainly some clashes, Tom, that were a lot closer than we thought they'd be. Some really good clashes and some big wins, as much like has been the, the flow of the season so far. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably the weekend that the competition needed just to go through a couple of the results. Obviously, Brisbane kept things close right until the end against Penrith. Newcastle stole it late at the death against Cronulla. Melbourne were dominant over the Roosters. Then we had a couple of unexpected results in Manly uh, absolutely demolishing the Titans. The Eels breaking that hoodoo down in Canberra against the Raiders. The Tigers putting up a good fight against the Rabbitohs, taking it to Golden Point on Saturday. It was a, a great Saturday of footy. And then on Sunday, we had two close games as well with the Warriors and the Cowboys picking up results against the Dragons and the Bulldogs. So a good weekend of footy. And fingers crossed we've got another one coming up this week. Yeah, look, we sh- certainly should. And it's going to be a good clash to kick things off on Thursday night, obviously. Penrith Panthers and the Newcastle Knights, both last round winners. And, you know, I, I think even though the Knights have been inconsistent in this one, Tom, I, I, I mean, personally, I, I think they're a chance of a bit of an upset. Obviously, you know, we, we saw what Kalen Ponga was able to do last week. Apparently, as sick as a dog, he, you know, had to rush to the bathroom at halftime. And, you know, he and Connor Watson, I think, were the two that Adam O'Brien said post game that, yeah, they just, you know, were struggling. They were sort of throwing up, just, not feeling great, and both still had pretty good games. And, you know, that, that night side is a side that if they click and can click consistently, you know, they can beat anyone in the competition, including Penrith, who, it has to be said, probably for about 50 or 60 minutes, the Broncos had their measure in that one, Tom, particularly through the middle. Yeah, they certainly did, but it was a great work out of the back from the back three. thought Brian Toro was exceptional yet again. Uh, 270 metres. It seemed like a real clear plan from Brisbane to kick to him on that first tackle so that uh, took him out later in the set, but he was too good for Brisbane and uh, got him off to some really flying starts for their sets. I think Newcastle looked to employ a similar tactic this week because he's just too dangerous on that second and third play working it out, but they'll be looking to kick into the corners and have a good strong kick chase there. And then likewise for uh, Penrith, they'll be looking to keep the ball out of Kalen Ponga's hands because he was exceptional last week. Two tries. I think he had two try assists as well. Uh, came up with that match ringing try right at the end. Like you said, boy, he was so sick. So uh, it's a scary thought for opposition fan, fans to think what uh, Kalen Ponga could do fully fit this week. Yeah, it certainly is. And obviously we know that the Knights, Tom, have that that famed left edge is back. Obviously Kalen Ponga is back. Bradman Best is back. Mitch Barnett hasn't missed a beat in the absence of both of those guys to start the season. And, you know, the Knights have to be pretty pleased with obviously getting that win, getting themselves back in the winner's circle. And I guess now for the Knights, it's really about trying to cement those, cement the edges, play to their strengths, and just really try and utilise, I guess, the X factor that, that the likes of Ponga and Watson can have to, to win games, particularly in the absence of the more structured Mitchell Pearce. Yes, yeah, certainly. I was actually impressed with their other edge the other night as well thought that Brody Jones filled in and made a really great impression in the centres there. Obviously, uh, second rower, but came in and uh, did a job there. And then uh, this week, they've got Stafford Toa back there, so it'll be a great boost for them there as well. Braden Musgrove holding on to his spot on the wing as well. So, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, just going to be about walking down those spots moving forward and great opportunity to test themselves this week against who are probably the premier defensive outfit in the competition at the moment. Yeah, they certainly are. And look, obviously, first game on Friday is an equally entertaining clash, obviously. You know, the Bunnies got that, I guess, miraculous win, if you can put it that way. Obviously, you know, it's not often that you see a, a potential try scored and then the player's allowed to go 100 metres back in the opposite direction and you come and check everything else. And 
you know, the emotion and, and just the, I guess, the fanfare and the did he score, did he not score? And I thought it was interesting, Tom, I, I, I don't know who said it, if it was on three, six, NRL 360 or elsewhere, but uh, when Tom Burgess went there to claim that try, a lot of his teammates weren't sure because apparently last year he claimed four or five tries over the year that he'd clearly dropped it. So his own teammates were unsure if he grounded it, but obviously, you know, Tom Burgess himself was. He grounded it. South's got the win, but it wasn't an impressive one, Tom. The Tigers obviously, you know, tested them big time, and with no Latrell Mitchell, that's going to, I guess, impact the the South side overall. Whether or not Johnston is the one to play fullback remains to be seen. There's some talk Cody Walker. could He's been training at fullback, apparently, so he could slot into there and, It'll be Benji to come into the halves, but I guess it's combinationally speaking, Tom, even if you move Walker to fullback, it's probably because they're not used to it, it might take some time to sort of gel and, and sort of come together against a Titan side who, look, they were pretty damn average against that Manly side, and it was just their edge defense that let them down ultimately. So they'll want their big boppers to, you know, really come in and make an impact and potentially keep that pressure on the Rabbitohs, considering that they seem to struggle against the Tigers. Yeah, certainly. I think the Tigers found a little bit of a recipe for success against the Bunnies. Completed really well, and then obviously just couldn't hold it together right at the end against that strong left-edge attack. I think the Tigers contained Damian Cook really well, which was key. If you let him out and running, then there's uh, going to be some strife for your defence up the middle of the field. And I think what we'll see is teams start to split their markers really early and I think we saw it penalised very early on in the match, but then the Tigers found a way to get around that later on, and they kept him pretty quiet for most of the game until Damian Cook was just too good right at the end in that uh, deception. They showed to put Tom Burgess through right at the end to score the match-winning try instead of going out the back to Adam Reynolds. So Cook too good there, but I think that um, the Titans will take a lot of lessons out of that Tigers performance last week. And then for the Gold Coast, it's just going to be about completions this week. Absolutely woeful, 68%, 25 of 37 against Manly. It's coughed up way too much ball, and unfortunately, Manly didn't need any invitation to attack with Tom Travojevic back in his first game last week. Yeah, they certainly didn't. Obviously, I guess uh, an additional blow for the Titans, Tom, is we know that Tino Fasu Malayawi is out suspended for a couple of weeks for a crusher tackle. And, you know, obviously, I guess the last week, probably even the week before, probably wasn't quite at his best, but obviously that was due to... You know, he, he was forced to play on the edge for a bit and even a bit at centre with some of the, the injuries and HIAs that they got over the course of the last two games. And and so, obviously, you know, it, it's never good. Oh, I'm sorry. It's never easy for a player having to sort of shuffle around so quickly. But, I mean, the Titans are certainly a side that we've seen what they can do, Tom. You know, David Fafida. We know what AJ Brimson can do. We know that Jamal Fogarty and Ash Taylor, are, at least this year, for the most part, have been a very composed halves pairing so you know it certainly is not going to be a game that the that the bunnies can afford to take lightly and equally the titans would want a much better showing overall than than they did last week yeah certainly i think the titans attacked towards the end of the game when they were getting frustrated it reminded me a little bit of brisbane a couple of weeks ago where it was sort of just that throw it to tavita pangai jr and sort of hope for the best and they were doing the same with david Fafita. i think that they're best when they get david Fafita and really structured attack moving out of their own end i've been really impressed with his output uh, coming out of their own their own 50 metres, he's been getting in there and doing the dirty work early in the sets, and that's really set them up to attack later on. And, uh, yeah, giving the ball close to the line, he's going to cause some issues for guys like Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds on those edges. 
He certainly will. I mean, I think it'd be hard-pressed to find a more destructive back rower close to the line than David Fafida at the moment, that's for sure. Well, look, we're, the second game on Friday, we're off to Darwin. Obviously, this is the the yearly game that the Eels take to Darwin as part of their sponsorship with the Darwin government and, and that stuff, which is great to see, obviously, one, you know, rather than playing all the, all the games out of, out of the same venues. And they're up against the Broncos, who, as I mentioned, Tom, for about 55, 60 minutes, that forward pack was arguably outplaying a Panthers forward pack that is, you know, typically seen as an elite pack, you know, Payne Haas, Matt Lodge, Tevita Pangai Jr. really taking it to to that Panthers pack and they come up against an Eels pack who pretty much overpowered uh, a Raiders pack, Tom, that many people see as one of the benchmark forward packs in the competition and the Eels just steamrolled over them as we saw with Isaiah Papali's first try where he literally absolutely demolished Josh, Josh Papali and ran over to score. Yeah, so he's been doing one hell of a job there on that edge uh, for Ryan Madison. And I don't know what you've heard in uh, your eel circles, but I've heard a lot of people on social media talking about uh, perhaps we might see Papa Lee hold on to his spot when Madison comes back and Madison could shift to the right. Papa Lee stays on that left and Sean Wayne onto the bench. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that does seem to be the consensus. I mean, I'll, I'll tell well, not a story, but even in the preseason, the initial plan was for Bryce Cartwright to start on the edge that Sean Lane is playing on and Ryan Matteson to obviously play on the other edge. When Bryce Cartwright injured his jaw in the preseason, obviously those plans changed. So had that not happened, the plan was going to be to play Sean Lane as a middle forward off the bench. So I wouldn't be surprised if the way that Papa Lee is playing, if he retains that edge spot. But that being said, I think the fact that he has that versatility that he's able to play either on the edge or in the middle, you know, it, it's and because the Eels have the forwards that they do, you can probably afford to, you know, have take Papa Lee off the edge and play him off the bench, and he comes on with, you know, after about 20, 25 minutes and just plays the rest of the game. So, I mean, certainly some good options there, but, yeah, I mean, I think the way that he's playing at the moment, it'd be pretty tough to, I guess, take him out of the starting side, but at the same time... We know what we know the punch he can deliver off the bench, as we saw in the first couple of rounds. So, you know, some good options there for, for Brad Arthur to consider. And, you know, certainly the Eels pack doesn't lose anything either way. So it's a bit of a win-win in a way. Yeah, certainly. This ability to play big minutes is so valuable as well. As I mentioned, in any position, means you can carry a guy like Wiram Greg there on the bench, big body impact player, uh, similar to what we saw the Eels play last year with Stefano Otoikamanu, where you can just play him... Uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes, you know, you don't have to rely on him for, for big minutes at any stage, but you can just bring him on when you need and um, get some good punch out of him. Yeah, look, I, I thought Wiram McGreg, you know, did his job. I mean, I think he had, I think it was about 42 metres from four runs. So, obviously, you know, the, the I guess, not much overall in terms of work rate, but, he, you know, a short stint like that, you just want him to come on, you know, cut the ball up, make the metres, get involved, which is what he did, and, and that was a good sign from him. And, of course, I mean, it'd be remiss of us to not mention the way that Mitchell Moses played in that game. I mean, you know, he's a much maligned figure in rugby league circles and a lot of fans outside, you know, fans aren't ill supporters think he's he's not someone that's going to take you to the promised land and he's not a guy that is going to be able to take the bull by the horns. But that game against the Raiders, I would say it's probably, probably in his top two or three best ever games in the NRL. And, you know, it started from pretty much the word go with that 
that long sort of, I guess, bomb sort of kick he put up from about 55 metres out, made Rapana backtrack, he drops the ball, the Eels score, that obviously uh, Papa Lee's first try in that, on, on that left edge, and that pretty much set the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah, and uh, his, his uh, game control was excellent, really able to go like Quinn Gutherson, getting some great positions to set up two tries this area, three line break assists as well, so great game from Gutho as well, great to see the one, in, uh, the one and the seven combining well. I think the Eels have really demonstrated that along with a team like Melbourne, they're probably one of the deepest rosters in the competition this season. We've mentioned guys like Isaiah Papawi and Wiramu Gregg, but also you've got Will Smith there. You can just seamlessly slot in for Dylan Brown and uh, guys like Bryce Cartwright, he, Keegan Hipgrave, who really haven't had a lot of opportunity so far, but can definitely slot in when required and have plenty of experience at NRL level. Oh, look, and, and I mean, the depth has been a big th- uh, a thing that the Eels haven't had in the past, obviously. The fact that we have it this year is, you know, a much-needed relief, and many Eels fans have said that before. So, you know, hopefully it's not going to be easy against the Broncos. Obviously, you know, they they manned up big time for that Penrith game, and the question is, can they sustain that, that I guess, pressure and that consistency, given that, you know, they are a, a very young side, a very inexperienced side with a new coach and, you know, all, all, the, all the talk and upheaval that is potentially going on behind the scenes. So, you know... The game is there for the offer if the Broncos are good enough, but you'd have to imagine that the Eels, just the way that they were able to dominate the Raiders last week, Tom, that they'd want to do the same against the Broncos. Oh, certainly. But if Brisbane can really uh, stay with the Eels through the middle, you never know. Jermaine Osako has been playing well of late. And it's really coming off the back of the form of guys like Payne Haas and Tavita Pangai Jr. I like Pangai Jr.'s move into the second row last week, kept him involved in the game uh, for the full 80 minutes. And Payne Haas, 20 runs for 211 metres. That's great stuff from him. And, I'm sure they'll, they'll be looking for a similar performance this week to match guys like Nathan Brown and uh, Junior Polo up there in the forward back. Oh, it'd be a great battle of the forwards, no doubt. Well, moving on to Saturday. Now we have the Cronulla Sharks and the Canary Bulldogs. Obviously, you know, the Sharks lost that lost last minute to the Knights and the Bulldogs, here they are still without a win. They're scoring points, which is a bonus for them, Tom, but that elusive win still escapes them. And, you know, we've sort of, We've seen some glimpses from, from them, but the consistency is just not there. And, you know, certainly Trent Barrett has come in with a with a metal axe and just literally, I guess, cut through this side. So obviously we know that Jack Heather, Jack Hetherington is out. He got his, his band for five weeks. I mean, poor kid can't stay on the field at this rate, the way he's going with, with his suspensions. And obviously Dylan Napa gets his start. thought the interesting one for me, Tom, is seeing... Chris Smith is starting in the back row. Corey Waddell at lock. I mean, obviously, I guess the dogs are at that point where they've got to they've got to try something. But a bit of a surprise in in the sense that they probably could have gone with someone like Matt Dury to start and Chris Smith off the bench, given you know the raps that are on Matt Dury and the fact that in the limited first grade time he's had, he's looked pretty good. Yeah, definitely. I think probably. Trembaro was just looking to reward some of the form Smith's thrown over the last couple of weeks. He had a good game last week, playing off the bench, just 33 minutes, but had over 60 metres playing on the edge there. And I think that uh, he'll provide plenty of impact on that on that edge. And I think it's a great opportunity for him to combine with a guy like Luke Thompson, who you were spruiking over the offseason as a guy that the Bulldogs really needed. And he really stepped up and demonstrated it last weekend, 37 tackles. He played 56 minutes there in the lock roll. For 148 metres, he'll shift back into his preferred role at prop this week with um, with Corey Waddell swatting in the 13 jersey. So great chance for them to really establish some combinations there up front before they get 
guys like Hetherington and Josh Jackson back in a couple of weeks' time. And good to see Arvis Siumanifanai move on to that bench. Haven't seen him for a couple of years since he played at the Tigers and the Sharks. He's been over in the Super League, so good to see him back in the NRL. Yeah, certainly is obviously, you know, I know a fair bit about him as a was an Eels kid coming through, and look, he's always been a just a no nonsense prop. Does his does his work, does his job. So it's good to see him come. It's good to see him come back in. And I guess with the Sharks, Tom, obviously Sean Johnson is back on the bench. How do you see this going? I mean, it obviously we know that we'll, we'll talk more about it later. We know Chad Townsend is not going to be at the Sharks beyond this season. Matt Moylan probably hasn't found his feet just yet. Obviously, shown some glimpses. Will Kennedy is arguably the most improved player in terms of his involvement across the board. And, you know, I think he leads leads the Sharks in both tries and try assists or very close to it for try assists, and which illustrates how well he's playing. So do you see Johnson coming off the bench probably just to, I guess, not have the pressure on him? Or, or do we potentially see one of Moylan or Townsend just drop out of the side altogether? Uh, I think we'll see Sean Johnson start off the bench just to start off with in a similar role to what we've seen Harry Grant over the last couple of weeks. Might come on after 20 or 30, or he may even come on later in the second half as they just look to ease him back into first grade. I think we might see him come on and replace Blake Braley, and then uh, we might even see Matt Moylan go into that hooking role just to start off with. I don't think we'll see Chad Townsend's departure really play a role uh, at the Sharks this year until later on in the season if they fall out of finals contention. I think that while the Sharks still have a decent uh, winning record, They'll be trying to gun for that, those lower spots in the top eight. And Chad Townsend's going to play a big part in that. He brings a lot of experience, local junior, uh, premiership winner with the Sharks back in 2016. So I'm sure he'll be looking to finish his career out there on a high. And uh, just another guy I've been really impressed with, I think I mentioned him last week, but Connor Tracy. He's turned into one of my favourite Sharks players to watch. He's just so electric, brings so much to the side. He's playing on the wing again this week, which, you know, if you said that Connor Tracy would be the starting winger for the Sharks seven weeks into the season, over the off-season, people would tell you, you're kidding yourself. And turned himself into an absolutely integral member of this squad. He had three line breaks last week, crossed for a try as well. And uh, he was huge in that comeback against the Knights that just fell short right at the end. He certainly was. I mean, I think this year he's already played in the halves at centre and now on the wing. So certainly he's a Mr. Versatile, that's for sure. And look, all teams need that sort of versatility. And, you know, he, he'll be one to watch. And I guess this could be a game that, you know, I guess it just depends on what dog side is going to be there and can they score enough points to win? Can they keep, can they defend to the point where they, you know, don't concede too many points? And I guess defense has been the big issue for the Bulldogs across the year, Tom. Yes, yeah, certainly has, but I can definitely see their first win coming soon. And I think that it'll be in a real grinding affair. I think that we might see one of those 12 14 or 12 10 score lines and. Uh, it's going to come down to, as you mentioned, the Bulldogs' defence, but also it's going to come down to the completions and the, um, the professionalism of the other outfit. And we saw last week from the Sharks, they completed at 89%. Uh, and if they completed at a similar rate this week, I can't see them losing with the likes of Kennedy and Townsend and uh, Matt Moylan and Sean Johnson running the ship. Yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a bit of an upset if the Dogs were able to do that. And I guess it'd probably be an upset, Tom, if the Cowboys were able to beat the Raiders. And obviously the Cowboys won last week against the Bulldogs. The Raiders were not great at all across the park against the Eels. And I guess for a team, Tom, that have uh, publicly come out and said that they believe they have the best forward pack, that their guys are the ones that are going to set the benchmark every week. It was anything but in a game where pretty much from, from the get-go, their pack was overwhelmed by, by the Eels pack in every sense. 
Yeah, certainly it was. Just having a look at some of the stats here. The Raiders only completed at 75%, had 10 errors across the game, and that went to only 45% possessions. It was always going to be tough for them. They got outdone by the Eels by over 300 metres in terms of the total run metres, and uh, the Eels had them on post-contact metres as well. So the Eels pack definitely stepped up in that battle, or highly touted battle of what are two of the top four packs in the league. And uh, the Raiders, led by Josh Papawi'i, are really going to have to step up this week against a younger pack, but a very strong pack as well. And we saw that last weekend against the Bulldogs that the Cowboys were able to step up for large chunks of the game. They relied on some of their younger stars of the side, guys like Shane Wright and Ben Condon to really do the damage on the edges. Condon found his way over the line. And then also we saw Jakey Gramble get out of Dummy half for a try himself, um, following up through the middle. And that was due to the, the role on the, the Cowboys boards got through down that, or got through the center third of the field. And I'm sure they'll be looking for something similar this week against the Raiders. They're just going to come out and tire out those boards and then, We'll for opportunities later in the game for guys like Val Holmes and Murray Tolungi, Scott Drinkwater as well. Yeah, the Cowboys, they, you know, certainly had some very good moments in that win. Obviously, you know, their defence will always be a, a, you know, a question mark, you know, to, I guess, not letting in the, the soft tries. But, you know, it, it must be said they played well. And I think the injection of that youth, you know, like Ben Condon, Shane Wright, even Mitchell Dunn coming back in, they still have a guy like Tom Gilbert that could also come back into the side at some point over the year. And I guess it's, it's this is probably the sort of thing that Todd Payton was looking for at the start of the season, Tom. But, you know, it's only just coming now. And for the Cowboys, I mean, it's all like it is the case for any team. What they need now is consistency. And I guess you probably don't get much of a better opportunity to try and get that second win on the trot, given that Canberra didn't play well last week. Yeah, certainly not. It's a great chance to catch Canberra off guard again this weekend. And uh, I think a large part of what's gone right for the Cowboys can be attributed to the move of Valentine Holmes back to fullback. He's been outstanding over the last couple of weeks, had two tries assists on the weekend. He's been kicking goals fairly well from the sideline and uh, grabbed himself a line break as well. So uh, good to see Val thriving at the back again. And I think uh, they'll be looking to keep him there moving forward, even as we see a guy like Hamiso Tabuai Fado return. I think uh, Todd Payton's really just uh, moving into the wider stage of that feeling out process to start his run at the club, and he's starting to find some combinations that are working for him. Yeah, he certainly is, and obviously, you know, no better chance for the Cowboys to get that second win on the trot and just remains to be seen. And I guess a side, Tom, that probably does want to win, that's your side, the West Tigers, very unlucky to not get it last week. And I guess just, just run just run through, I guess, what your emotions were you know, particularly in that last passage, I mean, we, I'm sure everybody saw the, the, the vision of Michael Maguire in the coach's box there. He literally, you know, the ball, Tom Burgess grounds the ball. You can clearly see Michael Maguire saying he dropped it, he dropped it. He's elated and he's nervous. Then he watches the slow motion replay and you can just see the she, uh, what's the, just this, I guess, like the exasperation of the fact that why did Tom Burgess have to ground that ball? And he rocks his head back, arms on his head, and just, you know, you can see the, I guess, the disappointment in he, from his emotions. As a fan, just run, I mean, what, what were you feeling during that entire passage? And I guess on, fir- on first glance, did, did you think that Tom Burgess had grounded the ball or, or was it a case of you only realised it after the slow motion replay had been shown? Yeah, my emotions weren't too far from Michael McGuire's, I can tell you that. And- <laughs> I thought initially he must have dropped it purely based on reputation. Tom Burgess here hasn't got the safest pair of hands in the league. And I thought as soon as I saw that ball spill out and bounce away, I thought, oh, maybe we're a chance here. And then when I saw Luke Brooks running away, I thought, hang on a minute. 
And then uh, I think it was Jared Sutton blows the try, and I thought, how good. You know, this is going to be one of the all-time great moments. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be. I was happy enough with the call from the video ref that it was a try. I think there was just enough downward pressure. I think if uh, Tom Burgess was coming from any higher up, I think he would have lost it for sure. And, um, yeah, it was unfortunate that Tyus couldn't get that result, but a lot of positive signs. I wasn't too upset with the result. Um, I was actually more upset with losing against the Cowboys the week before because you could just see the improvement in the Tigers' side. And I think Michael McGuire said after the game and on Triple M the next day that it was just proud of the effort the boys put in. And I was really happy with the direction the side was heading. And that next step is just being able to close out those games in those crucial moments. You know, there are a couple of times there where obviously Adam Reynolds kicks the two-point field goal. There wasn't a lot of pressure being put on. That's just a bit of game awareness there. And yeah, unfortunately, we just couldn't couldn't win a couple of the critical moments. One being that Latrell Mitchell incident where he catches the ball in the end goal and evades two or three tacklers. I think Adam Dewey was one of them, and he runs down 50 metres downfield and puts the little donkey kick on Luke Garner. And obviously, uh, nothing came of it. But that marched South Sydney down and they end up scoring off the, the ensuing penalty. So just being able to control those moments, you know, obviously you can't control all the refereeing decisions. It's just being able to respond positively to whatever comes your way. And I think the Tigers did that well for the most part. They completed really well on the night and just weren't able to get done against a very good South outfit in the end. But I think they're a great chance this week up against Maui. I think that a lot of people have written the Tigers off this week. The bookies have them about $3 odds. And I think really this game is a lot closer than it appears. If the Tigers can play like they did against South, I think they'll really trouble Manly this week. So I think a lot of people have perhaps uh, overestimated their abilities based on last week's performance, which I put down largely to, uh, the poor performance of the Gold Coast Titans in Mudgee. Yeah, obviously, we, you know, we know the Titans weren't great last week. And, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think for Manly, obviously, you know, we know that Tom Trevojevich is back. We know what he can do. He's shown it in the past. And I guess the big question is, can he stay on the football field? And I think despite how good he has been, I think Manly still need to be concerned. I mean, they obviously beat the Titans convincingly last week, but... It was pretty much the Tom Trebojevic show. I mean, we, we didn't see a lot from Kieran Foran or Daddy Cherry Evans, which I think in a side where you have a few superstars and you want to try and get them all involved, you know, relying heavily on one player, although it can pay off in the short term, in the long term it can ultimately cost your side. You know, player can get burnt out, and I think if Manly aren't careful, that can happen to Tom Trebojevic. So. I think if they're going to win, they they still need to get more out of Fawn and Cherry Evans, who, let's face it, have had pretty poor starts to the season overall. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think the Tigers are taking real defensive focus into this game to shut down guys like Tom Trebojevic and David Cherry Evans. I think we can see that through the selection of Michael Cheekham there in the centres. Uh, Michael McGuire has opted to go with Cheekham over uh, someone like Zach Cheney or perhaps Joey Waywell back into the squad because he knows that Cheekham's a, a more solid defender and they're really going to focus on nothing down and keeping the uh, Manly side out. Because I think if they can, the Tigers have demonstrated over the past couple of weeks against some tougher opposition, Souths, also uh, your Eels there, that they've got the capability of scoring 20, 25 plus on any given night. Some of the attacking play they put up against Souths on the weekend was excellent. I thought they controlled the game really well uh, right until that last 10-minute period. They just kept kicking Souths into a corner, making them work it out from the 10-meter line. I think it was said on commentary a number of times that Souths just over and over again, it was like deja vu just repeatedly starting their sets from 5, 10 out. And I think the Tigers will back themselves. That nice little attacking passage they put through where the ball went uh, through Luciano, we were out wide uh, and then came back right to the other side for Luke Garner to score in the second half. That was just outstanding. I think they'll be looking to replicate that against the Manly side, which uh, have proven this year so far, apart from last week, to be a little bit shaky in defence. 
Yeah, they certainly. I mean, Shaggy is probably an understatement, that's for sure. And look, I guess two teams, Tom, that they might be fifth and sixth, but they've both had some inconsistencies this season. Obviously, it's the, I guess, the more the most famous Anzac Day clash that we've had in recent years. Obviously, the Sydney Roosters and the, and the St George Illawarra Dragons have a lot of history through the Charity Shield, through the Anzac Day clashes, and you know these clashes certainly don't disappoint. But it's an interesting one in many ways, Tom. Obviously, you know the Dragons a couple of weeks ago. They battered, they overpowered the Eels, got that upset win. Then you fast forward to last week against the Warriors, and they were the ones getting battered in the forwards, and that allowed the Warriors to obviously get the momentum that they need to win. And it wasn't the Dragons. I mean, it's often been the Dragons' way is when they win, it's a good win. When they lose, it's a bad loss, even if the score is close because they outplayed and. I feel like a lot of that game against the Warriors, they they look they didn't look lost, but certainly they didn't play to their potential. And you know the Warriors made the most of that. And you know it's this is the Roosters side who they always they're always up for these clashes. Yes, they were outplayed by Melbourne, but they could obviously they get Brett Morris and Sam Verrills back in, who are two huge additions for them, particularly Verrills, Tom, who you know he's had a long layoff with his ACL injury. I guess he's he's been you know training quite a fair bit to get himself to a position to play and particularly with Jake Friend's medical retirement they need a guy like a specialist hooker that has that premiership caliber and premiership winning experience like Verrills to come in and almost steady that that ruck in the middle for them. Yeah, it's great to get someone with so much experience in Sam Verrills, even though he's so young. He's got uh, as you mentioned there the premiership winning experience in that grand final a couple of years ago against Melbourne and. I'm sure they'll be looking for him to really direct the side around. He knows the attacking plays so well being around for a couple of years now. He's had plenty of time to study up on the playbook, and it's going to be really important, his combination that he forms with Sam Walker and Drew Hutchison, who weren't at their best last week, but you can put that down to some great uh, defensive play from Melbourne as well. We know they're one of the more stout defensive outfits in the league. And then if you look across the other side of the Dragons, Matt Dufty's been the real star over the last couple of weeks. He picked up uh, a try and two tries this last week to really lead the attack, but Unfortunately, they just weren't able to put the defensive pressure on the Warriors and that enabled the Warriors to complete it a ridiculous 97, 98% throughout the game. I think they were 40 from 41. They were 40 from 40, but they got corrected post-game. So they lost their 100% rating. But um, I'm sure they'll be looking to get up a little bit quicker into the face of the Roosters, really shut down the time and space that uh, Walker and Tedesco have because if they if they, um, if they they leave them open uh, with plenty of possession, there's going to be trouble for the Dragons at the SCG. Yeah, look, certainly is. I mean... We've said it before, and any side with James Tedesco, who is probably one of only half a dozen players in the league that can literally change the game in the blink of an eye, you can never discount them. And, you know, although he probably was, I guess, nullified a little bit against the Storm, the defence of the Storm, as we've as we've, we've seen for many years, is obviously a lot more superior than that of other sides. So if the Dragons aren't careful through the middle and if they let the likes of... Um, Warrior Hargreaves, Takayaho, Lindsay Collins off the bench. If they get the roll on, get the, I guess, the winning battle in the forwards, Tedesco's going to have a field day through that middle if they can get some early ball to him and some offloads. Yeah, and I'm really expecting him to have a big game on Sunday. I think he'll get up for the occasion on Anzac Day. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I think that the Roosters pack will just be too good for uh, the Dragons, especially with the addition of Victor Radley, who obviously got off in that charge last night at the judiciary and uh, escaped with a fine. So it's a great addition for them. We may even see Victor Radley at times sort in as a, a bit of a second nine alongside Sam Verrills throughout the game as well. Yeah, you know, certainly another play with that great versatility, and you always need that. And 
I guess, you know, the, the Melbourne Storm and the New Zealand Warriors, Tom, much like the Roosters Dragon, this has become a bit of a, a regular fixture on the Anzac Day calendar. Obviously, they play the final game of the round, the later game at 6.15, obviously, when you have these themed rounds, the times change and, and whatnot. And, I mean, you'd expect the Storm to win this one. Obviously, we know that there's no Ryan Pappenhausen, who's probably just being rested, I guess, just to try and get that, you know, I think it would think it was a, they said it was an AC joint injury. He probably could have played, but obviously, you know, the Storm being in the position that they are, they can afford to rest him. And they're certainly as good as Pappenhausen is, Tom. I mean, if you, when you can have a replacement like Nico Hines to come in at fullback, you're absolutely, absolutely cheering. Yeah, certainly. It's like we saw at Parramatta with Will Smith coming in. Obviously, you can't replace a guy like Ryan Pappenhausen, but Nico Hines is certainly a solid fullback. We've seen that over the last couple of years. He's a more than capable replacement there, and he'll bring a lot, probably not as much in the running department, but more in the ball playing. He's got a good set of hands on him. I'm sure he'll be looking to feed plenty of ball out wide to Munster and Hughes, who then get it onto the centres, who we've seen have been so damaging over the last few weeks. I think that Melbourne will be really looking to target the edge with Jack Murchie on it for the Warriors. Obviously, injury has forced them to use a second row there in the in the centre, and I think they'll be looking to throw either Owen or Remus Smith straight at him and uh, force that two-on-one and get it out to their wingers in George Jennings, Josh Adokar. I can see plenty of tries coming out wide for them. Josh Curran, I thought, for the Warriors was excellent last week. He, uh, his first game of the season, uh, he's been forced to slot in there again after some injuries have struck, but he, I thought he did a really great job. Yeah, he played pretty well. I mean, obviously, you know, Josh Curran is probably not a guy that many fans know of, but he, you know, did his job. And I mean, I think the Warriors side across the board played pretty well. I think, you know, we, we say it every week, you know, we know that I guess the two clubs stalwarts are Tohu Harris and Roger Tuivasa-Shek and, you know, they both played tremendously well. Obviously, both were able to score tries. And, you know, I mean, Warriors don't have a bad record against Melbourne. And, you know, they can certainly be proud of the performances that they've put in for the most part, both this year and in the past against the Storm. But I think just, you know, given the injuries that the Warriors have, given how cohesive this Melbourne side seems to be right now, particularly since that loss to Parramatta a few rounds ago, it it's hard to see this one going any any way other than a Melbourne victory in the end. Yeah, you'd have to think so. But I think the Warriors' best chance is similar to what they did last week against the Dragons. It's going to be really high-quality football, complete, get to the end of the sets, put kick, good kicks in on last tackle. If they can do that, just trap Melbourne down to the sort of 10, 15-metre line uh, each set and then uh, really work it, uh, make them work it out of their own line, uh, tire out that big forward pack early on. That'll be the key for them. If the Warriors are going to win this, it's going to have to be in a real grinding affair again. 12-8, 14-10, something like that. But I don't think we're going to see them come out and do what they did to the Raiders a couple of weeks ago and score uh, 35 points. No, certainly not. And, you know, certainly you have a very entertaining week of games once again, which is great to see. And as always, Rugby League is full of news. And I guess the news that has been, you know, ma- that has made the headlines, Tom, certainly, I guess depending if you're a Sharks or a Cowboys fan, you're either... <laughs> happy or not so happy. I mean, a lot of Sharks fans have certainly not shied away from their thoughts on Chad Townsend in in years past. And Chad Townsend from 2022 has a three-year deal with the Cowboys. Reportedly, it's going to be $2 million over three years, which equates to about 650000 And I guess the big question is, Tom, is Townsend the guy that is going to make the Cowboys better? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who they partner with him. It's sounding like Tom Dearden might find his way up to North Queensland in the next couple of weeks for next season with a deal there. And 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that pairing. Obviously, Townsend and um, Tom Dearden, both traditional number seven. So uh, one of them's going to have to sort into that 5'8 role. And where does that leave a guy like Scott Drinkwater? We saw at the start of the year, it didn't really work with Drinkwater at the back and Val Holmes on the wing. So Top Payton's got some headaches uh, moving forward, but they're probably good ones to have when you've got some high-quality players there. I think uh, it's pretty disrespectful for some of the Sharks fans to come out and uh, say that they're they're happy to see Townsend go, even if he hasn't been in the greatest of form over the last couple of years. Uh, he's the halfback that took them to a premiership, and uh, he played such a big role in that 2016 campaign along, alongside James Maloney. And yeah, unfortunately for Townsend, it didn't work out at the Sharks, and uh, he's got a chance to start with a new deal up there uh, in North Queensland, believe to be worth over $2 million for a great one for him and his family there. So, yeah, fingers crossed he does well up there. I, you know, I've been a big fan of Chad's for a while now. And he's one of the good guys of rugby league. And, I, yeah, fingers crossed he does well. Yeah, certainly big shoes to fill, obviously. I guess they haven't really found a, a staple half since Jonathan Thurston left, who, you know, we all know is one of one of the goat halves of that has ever, has ever played the game. So won't be easy. But the Cowboys, obviously, you know, they're rebuilding and, Todd Payton thinks that uh, Chad Townsend is the guy for him. And I guess another side, Tom, obviously, you know, your Tigers, who has been plenty of conjecture about Luke Brooks, about his future. Some fans some fans want him gone. I know that, you know, you've been vocal in the past here on the podcast that you are a fan of Brooks. They've signed Jackson Hastings from 2022. Now, obviously, we know that at present, the Adam Dewey and Luke Brooks are the two halves. There's some talk that Jackson Hastings may play at, at lock, kind of like a like a Connor Watson sort of lock role, where more of a, a roving player, an additional ball player. Is that something that you can see at the Tigers, or do you think he's going to be slotting into the halves somewhere? No, I think we will see him in that lock role. I think that's why he's been signed, to bring a little bit of spark, a little bit of control as well. He's got a lot of experience there, 25 years old, but he seems like he's been around forever since those days when he started out at the Roosters a couple of years ago. I think that the Tigers are going to look to back Brooks in, give him a year or two to really you know, prove his worth and then move him on after 2022 or 2023 when his contract ends uh, if he hasn't performed. And I think that Adam Dewey's shown enough over the last couple of weeks that he's a long-term 5'8 for the club. And it's really great to see that they're looking to lock down a solid halves pairing. And I think the addition of Hastings at lock only works because of the calibre of forwards they've brought in over the last uh, season and a half. Guys like Stefano Otoikamanu, James Tamau, Joffrey and Gowie. We've got Luciano Weiwura and Alex Twal, who've been exceptional over the last two seasons. And, you know, without those players, you really need that bigger lock who can run it straight down the middle, give you that extra carry early in the sets. But uh, when you've got a good pack and guys out wide, like Luciano Weiwura and Joffrey and Gowie, who aren't afraid to uh, get in there and do some dirty work, enables you to really play that, that smaller lock, which is only a good thing for your attack. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it will certainly be an interesting one. I mean, I think Hastings is a guy that, you know, again, like like many other players, his versatility is, you know, tremendous. I mean, he could, he could arguably play in the majority of positions, maybe other than wing or prop at the end of the day. And, you know, obviously it, it's, it'll be one for Michael Maguire to toss up. But, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the lock roll doesn't make sense, obviously. You know, we see Newcastle utilise it with Connor Watson at least the last couple of weeks where, obviously, like you said, you know, when you have... Uh, David Clemmer, the Saifidi brothers, Mitch Barnett and Tyson Frizzell on the edges who just get stuck in and are able to do the work. You can afford to have a, a guy like Watson who, much like Hastings, are actually, I think for their size, they're defensively, they're actually quite solid. And when you can have a guy playing in the middle that is a good defender and doesn't give much away, 
it certainly makes that transition a lot easier and it makes the cohesiveness across the side a lot easier to to try and get that consistency that you need. Yeah, 100%. And it's just that versatility that he provides, as you mentioned there. I think we might even see him play in a similar role to what we see from Will Smith, just being able to sort in and out when required throughout the season. Might see him in the 14 role throughout the year. I think we'll see Moses Zembai probably drop out of the Tigers roster come the end of the season. So, uh, it's, you know, it's almost a bit of a like-for-like replacement there. And fingers crossed, Jackson Hastings can bring a little bit more next season. He's certainly very good signing the ways in playing for Wigan, obviously. Took out the Man of Steel award and, I mean, much richly deserved as well from the way he played for Wigan in that season. And, you know, good signing for the Tigers, obviously. You know, now the, the key is to build on it, get some of the guys in, shape the roster that they need to to take the next step. And the Cronulla Sharks are certainly, I guess in the short term, Tom, more so with Will Chambers, who <laughs> I guess was a surprise one to join the Sharks, particularly that a lot of Sharks fans are, I guess, hold a bit of animosity towards Chambers, particularly for some of his antics in, in the 2016 grand final. I guess it was ultimately Chambers' era that, that led to the Sharks' victory, even though he was playing for the Storm, you know, a bit of silliness involved there. And he's there. Named in the reserves, he may well play. I guess depends on how he fits in for the rest of this season under interim coach Josh Hannay. And on the other side, we've spoken a lot about this guy before, Tom Siosipatalakai. No surprise to see him resign. Sharks fans love him. He's un- he's obviously just returned from his injury layoff, and it shouldn't be too long before he's back to his best off the bench. Yeah, 100%. Can't wait for Talakai to get back into it and. Uh, I think we might even see him start later on in the season, like we saw towards the end of last year. Obviously, Teague Wilton's been outstanding, but just that extra little bit of experience and power running that Talakai provides is invaluable. And his combination with a guy like Sean Johnson could be one to watch for the second half of the season for sure. On Will Chambers signing, it's a little bit of a confusing one. I don't quite see a spot for him at the moment there, especially considering the form of Connor Tracy over the last few weeks. But I think it's definitely one of those depth signings. We'll see Josh Dugan and Jesse Ramian stay in the sense for the time being, but we know that Ramian's got uh, some injuries and some suspensions in him, and uh, Josh Dugan's certainly got a plagued injury history himself. So uh, it's a good one for depth, and if they need that extra experience off the field to mentor some of those younger guys through. Yeah, certainly is an interesting one, but hey, you can never have too much depth, that's for sure. And I guess probably a surprise that we saw today, Tom, we have Trent Merrin, who has decided to retire effective immediately. I guess his, his, uh, his side to the fact that He's obviously he's not a young guy anymore. He's 31, but the game has become a lot quicker, or at least NRLs have become a lot quicker since his return. And, you know, he was quite vocal and quite open and honest about the fact that, look, I can't keep up anymore. You know, this is a, a younger man's game. And he's pretty much gone to the club and said, look, you can... Yeah, I told him to give it. Yeah. So he said, look, you can keep the money that you owe me for the rest of the year. I don't need it. You know, give it to, give it to some other guys. And... You know, I mean, it's not often that you see a sort of a selfless act like that from a player, Tom, when they, you know, leave early. Obviously, it was Marin's decision, but I guess it just sort of sh- it it, tell- it shows you how how good of a bloke that he is. And I guess on the flip side, it's not often that you see a player able to retire on their own terms as well. Yeah, certainly, I think that played a large role in his decision to retire today. It's uh, been a great career for Trent Marin, just having walked through some of his stats here. Well, I mean, I saw a good stat. On Trent Marini, obviously, was the only only surviving Dragons member of the uh, 2010 Premiership win. Obviously, that was a, a you know a big hurrah for the Dragons, and 
you know, he'll have that. He's played for Australia, New South Wales. So he's pretty much done all he can in the game at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. 253 games, 25 tries. Uh, he's represented the country, New South Wales, NRL All-Stars, Australia. Uh, got a run for the Prime Minister's 13 as well there. So, uh, you know, it's been a very decorated career for Trent Merrin. And, yeah, as you mentioned, not many players can go out on top. We saw him only a week or two uh, snag a try there for the Dragons. And uh, it's great for Trent Merrin that he's able to, to leave the game on his own terms. And uh, fingers crossed for him, he can find a, a role within rugby league. He's uh, one of the great characters of the game, has been for a number of years now. So uh, I'm sure we'll see him in and around the NRL for a long time to come. Yeah, certainly hope so. I'm never, never good to lose a to lose a guy like that to the game. So any role he can pick up, he'll be loved wherever he goes. And I guess the guy Tom that's probably surprised a lot of us. I mean, we've spoken a little bit about him on the podcast in the past, and he's certainly been able to provide, I guess, some momentum and some punch off the bench for the Titans this year. He's been Aaron Clark. He's obviously been re-signed by the Titans, and I guess it has been. A, They've got a good little one-two punch there going at hooker, Tom, with obviously Mitch Rain, who is probably, I guess, the more noted defender, the one that is more likely to run the ball, as we've seen this year. And then you have Aaron Clark, who's the guy who's probably a bit more ad-lib and sort of plays at his sees, like, you know, sort of just makes the most of the chances that he gets and, you know, seems to be working for them. And it's worked for Clark, who has been rewarded with a new deal. Yeah, definitely. And I think this season we've seen Aaron Clark's ability uh, to adapt to any a number of different situations. I think that we've seen him even slot in there in more of a lock role uh, with that sort of small nugget sort of body shape. And he's just able to, you know, get on there and make plenty of tackles, which is exactly what the Titans have required over the last couple of weeks. And it's great that they're able to inject him off the bench uh, when Mitch Rain needs a rest. And, um, yeah, as mentioned, great one-two punch there. I'm sure we'll see that continue uh, as the Titans try and make a push towards the finals later on in the season when they've got a guy like Tyron Peachy floating around who is that smaller body type. It's great that they can bulk up with a guy like Aaron Clark and um, who isn't afraid to get in there and um, yeah, make plenty of defensive efforts. Yeah, certainly he's a good little player. Just had a bit of good little nugget. I mean, every, you know, every NRL side needs a good nugget, that's for sure. I mean, it's uh, pretty much part and parcel now. And look, he's done well. And obviously the new deal is, is just desserts for what has been a good start to the year. And, you know, fingers crossed that he can continue that, that he gets that partnership with Rain and, you know, certainly they've both done their part for the Titans this year. And I guess an interesting one that's come out, Tom, is Kurt, that these links of Kurt Capewell to the Broncos. Now, obviously, we know we know Kurt Capewell is a Queenslander. He certainly has hinted in the past that he wouldn't, you know, would one day like to play in Queensland once again. There's some talk that Penrith may need to offload him because of cap issues. I mean, and if you went to the Broncos, Tom, that would be... I mean, considering the upheaval that their forward pack has had in the past, if Kurt, Kurt Capewell was to head to the Broncos, that'd be a pretty good pack when you consider they've got, you know, Payne Haas, Matt Lodge, Pat Carrigan, Tommy Flegler, Pangai Jr., Jordan Rickey. So that he would only add to what is an impressive young forward pack as it is. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure Brisbane are looking for someone to replace David Feeder, who they lost over the off-season to the Gold Coast. And, We've got Alex Glenn plugged in there at the moment, but Glenn's probably starting to come towards the twilight years of his of, uh, his career. It's been a great career at that, so um, I'm sure Brisbane would, would welcome Kurt Capewell into that 11 jersey. And, and then you've got a great one, two, three punch of guy like Glenn Flegler, Jordan Rickey, you've got jo- uh, John Asiata there as well, Ethan Bournemouth, so plenty of options for Kevin Walters moving forward. Great to see for Brisbane. Yeah, and he certainly needs some reprieve after Fafita's departure. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's a pretty scary thought to consider what this Brisbane team could be. 
uh, in a year or two. Obviously, they haven't had the results of weight, but you've got a great back line that we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks. Guys like Jermaine Osako, Xavier Coates is a try-scoring superstar. I think he's scored six tries so far this season, somewhere around that mark. Herbie Farnworth's been outstanding to start the year. It's been uh, his strongest campaign so far. And uh, then they've got guys like Corey Oates, Katoni Stagg still to come. Uh, if they can work out what they do with their halves, Brisbane could be in a great position moving forward. Yeah, they certainly can be. And it's never good to talk about negativity in rugby league, Tom. And at the same time, we can see media sensationalise things. Obviously, the most recent incident is a video that has emerged. I mean, we don't know from when, how long ago it was. But it's uh, Dylan Brown, who is, I guess, seen in a cubicle with a woman. Again, it's a bit blurry. There's plenty of guesses and, you know, predictions as to what is happening, what is going on. We can't know for certain. Obviously, it doesn't look good regardless. But when you think about it, Tom, I mean, we were discussing this prior to the podcast as well. The video is four seconds. It's not really a, a strong indication of what is happening neither Dylan Brown nor the female in question seem to know that they're being recorded. Somehow this video has gone to, got, gotten to the media and obviously it's now become a, a bad look for the NRL. But you'd have to imagine that based on precedent with the Dylan Napa incident that there may not be a lot to come from this, maybe just a, a bit of a hefty fine for Dylan Brown, obviously for, I guess, slightly, you know, bring the game into disrepute, albeit in a in a lesser fashion, if that's the right way to put it. Yeah, so I think the NRL will be looking to address this pretty quickly and shut it down, get it out of the headlines. I think that the quicker they come out with a, a punishment or a, a statement on this issue, then the quicker this will be resolved and the quicker we can get back to the footy because uh, it's unfortunate. It's like that, uh, that classic scene from The Simpsons where they've had the days since the incidents at the nuclear reactor. And unfortunately, it's uh, days since the NRL's had another scandal. And um, it's back down to zero today, but... Fingers crossed that we can uh, build up a bit of a streak moving into the next couple of weeks and we can uh, really focus on the footy because it's been cracking first couple of rounds. As I mentioned last week, was just around the NRL need and, and uh, we've got some more close games hopefully coming up this week and perhaps some more unexpected results moving forward on the field. Yeah, we certainly do. And look, I mean, I think if that tally can get anywhere past a couple of weeks, that's a win for the NRL, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Take the Two podcast. As Tom said, plenty of action to look forward to and, you know, plenty of chances for upsets as well. You know, will this be the, the week that the, the Bulldogs get their first win or that the Panthers get their first loss of the seasons? I guess we'll find out, but should be an entertaining week nevertheless, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one, guys.